Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 172 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Healing Place, an interview with Sarah Hook. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Matt, when you listen to this podcast episode, it is almost scripted like a traditional superhero script, where you have a young woman who is kind of floating around, living in an ordinary life, and then she discovers her superpowers when she wants to overcome her healthcare challenges in her early 20s. She does very well until she's about 25 when she gets bitten by a tick, and her health slowly declines to the point where she is finally chronically ill in her early 30s. But because she had discovered her superpowers, because she discovered that she can heal by going through these various biohacking processes. She's on the road to recovery. And Rich, you know it's a good podcast episode when you and I fight for control of the guest. And I have to apologize that I dominated this interview for probably far too long before I handed her back over to you. But Sarah talked to us about so many great things she learned through her healing journey. She started by using the Buner protocol with a combination of THC and CBD in high doses and got her health back to 80%. She then had a crash and then went to the Infusio Clinic in Germany where she got IV ozone and fat stem cells. She then crashed again a year later, which then at that time, she pivoted over to bee venom therapy, ozone again, herbals, and more. She also talked to us in great detail about Lyme and romance and how she was able to maintain a relationship for the past five years, despite being chronically ill. So Matt, in true superhero fashion, this young woman is now taking all the lessons that she's learned on her journey, and she's now sharing with other people. She's feeling well enough to now interact with people on social media to help them there. And we know that's only the beginning. In the very near future, Sarah is going to be back in business, and she's going to be back helping people who are on chronic health care journeys. So Matt, without further ado, The Healing Place with Sarah Hook. Hey, Sarah, and welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to share with you. Oh, and we're really excited to have you share with our audience. I mean, we've been uh, we've been big fans of yours on social media for a long time, and uh, we knew that you had a story that folks would need to hear. And of course, uh, as New Yorkers who always butcher the English language, it's always um, great to have someone on the podcast who knows how to pronounce all of the words that I don't know how to pronounce. So uh, welcome from London, England. Is that where you are currently uh, living, Sarah? Yes. Yeah, in London. Yeah. Uh, the weather is quite sunny today, actually. It's been rainy and windy for like the past week. So it's quite a nice change. So Sarah, talk to us about your background. Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in, well, always I've been in UK all of my life um, in the countryside. Um, so I've grown up, yeah, in the countryside the whole of my life, basically. So I like nature and being outside and um, yeah, just like that kind of peaceful environment. So talk to us about your educational background and talk to us a little bit about what you dreamed about doing during your childhood. Okay, um, I wouldn't say I was very academic. I'm definitely more of a creative kind of person <laughs> that I've definitely realized as I've like got older. So at school, it was just kind of like, for me, it was just something that I did, but I wasn't very, I guess, um, ambitious at that time about a career. I didn't actually know what I wanted to do growing up. I was very much just, yeah, just kind of going through the motions. Um, so I liked, I think I was just someone who liked being active. I liked being outside. I liked playing with my friends. I liked climbing trees. <laughs> I was just, yeah, very much kind of like, um, just liked being outside. So as an outdoorsy gal, um, what did you know about ticks and tick diseases during the early stages of your life? Absolutely nothing. 
I didn't, all I knew from ticks was that my dog would sometimes have ticks on her and we would pull them off and that would be it. So you had no idea that if you had suffered a tick bite, there was the possibility that you could suffer from Lyme disease or some type of uh, a microbial disease? Uh, no, nothing at all. I had no fear of ticks, nothing at all, no. Do you ever recall finding a tick on you or a family member finding a tick on you during um, your childhood? Not during my childhood, no. I never had a tick on me. Well, not that I saw anyway. Right. So ticks were something you were aware of because your companion animals would come in with ticks on them. You would take the, the ticks off the companion animals, but you never made the connection between the possibility of the ticks that were biting your, your dog biting you. No, never. I didn't. Yeah, I wasn't even worried about it at all. Okay, so now let, let's talk about, let's fast forward to your adult life. Uh, before you were diagnosed with Lyme disease, what types of things were you doing in life? What type of work were you doing? And what kinds of goals were you uh, pursuing? Um, I, well, I was really into holistic health. Um, I was doing a lot of courses, just like studying holistic health, nutrition. I was really interested in in the body in general and what we could do for our own health to feel better so that was already very much like a passion of mine um what inspired what inspired that passion uh in you to become a holistic uh health practitioner um well i started experiencing like symptoms of like kind of just not feeling very well around the age of like 20 and um i guess they I, I had about like six months of just every morning, just waking up and feeling like just really fluey or just really achy headaches all the time. I would go to the doctor and they just said, you know, you've got a virus, it'll go away. But like six months later, I was like, you know, this has to be something more to this. I had all my blood tests done, nothing came up. Um, and it's actually someone at my who worked with my mum gave them a book and said, um, it was like a holistic book about the gut health and candida and things like that. And um, she brought it home to me. I read it and I was like, right, I'm going to try it. So I basically put, you know, I took lots of foods out of my diet. I started taking different herbs. And like in two weeks, like I felt so much better already. And I was like, oh, OK. Um, and that just kind of opened the door to me to the fact that, yeah, we could do these things that could really improve our health and symptoms. So you were inspired by your own health challenges to begin to look outside of the traditional medical community to find ways of healing yourself. And that inspired you to take courses and read materials so that you can turn that into a, um, a, a, a profession where you can help other folks. Yeah. And I'm, I've always been really intrigued as using myself as a guinea pig as well. So I just liked reading up on stuff, doing all these different de detoxes, just, you know, it was even back then that I got really fascinated about detoxing and the fact that, you know, that we could have toxins build up in our body and that we could do things that could help our, our body release those. Um, so I found that really fascinating. So that's kind of always been one of the things that I've been really fascinated about and passionate about is detoxing. So you're one of the early biohackers and you were your own uh, guinea pig. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so you're now in your 20s. You're beginning to develop some of these skills and these techniques, mm -hmm. which are improving your health. You're sharing these with other people. You're seeing their health get improved. Yeah. At that time, did you know anything about ticks and Lyme disease? And did you suspect 
in yourself, now we're talking about you in your early 20s, that perhaps yeah. you had contact with a tick and perhaps you were suffering from Lyme disease? Not at that time. And I hadn't had my tick bite until I was 25. So um, back then I still had no idea about Lyme disease. Um, yeah, nothing like that. Now, all right, so let's fast forward to 25 because everybody always wants <laughs> to get to the tick bite that they remember, right? So talk to us about what happened to you when you were 25. Where were you and how did yeah. you discover your tick bite? I was actually in the bath and just relaxing in the bath. And then I saw something on my leg um, and it was very big. And I, I literally, I didn't even know it was a tick actually at the time. I just pulled it off and it obviously came away really easily. I don't know if it drowned under the water when I was in the bath or I don't know if that's possible, but I just pulled it off and then I looked at it closer and I realized that it was a tick, which really grossed me out because I didn't know it was possible. And it was so big and I knew that it just sucked, you know, all my blood for ages. And I uh, kind of ran downstairs to show my mom. And I was like, look, I've got a tick on my leg. And um, we, I think we took it outside and we just squashed it. And that was literally it. Like, I just thought, oh, that was gross. And I didn't think anything of it apart from that that hadn't happened before. And um, yeah. So Sarah, you were in the UK at the time that you found this tick biting you? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So. Now, after you suffered this tick bite, did your health begin to change? Meaning, did you start to get sick again and overcome and, and, and have to revisit some of the things you had overcome as a, um, a holistic health practitioner? Yeah, in hindsight, I, did, I think at the time I didn't realize it actually, but in hindsight, I can see that my health did start to deteriorate very slowly. Um, I started to spend more weekends in bed, just, you know, I'd work all week. And then by the weekend, I just would stay in bed all week and feeling very viral. Like I just kept saying, I think I've just got a virus again. Um, and I was obviously living like a very healthy lifestyle. I had already been eating like a very healthy diet for like, you know, over five years. Um, I was doing what I thought was all the right thing. So in the back of my mind, there was something in the back of my mind thinking this isn't right like what's going on um but I think because I was doing all of the right things I kind of kept my symptoms at a kind of functional place um but yeah they did just start to get worse over the years over the years until until my health yeah really crashed just so that we can have a context Sarah, when were you ultimately diagnosed with Lyme disease how much longer after your tick bite did you get your diagnosis so I got my diagnosis about six years ago. So I'm going to do the maths now. Um, so yeah, it was at least like eight years after the bike. Okay. So now I want to focus on the bike again together, just so that we can, can give folks a context to this. Now, you believe that the bite that you received when you were 25 years old was the, was the experience that caused you to suffer the chronic illness you were diagnosed with eight years later. Yeah. How do you know that you weren't bitten by a tick before that 
tick bite that you had received when you were 25 years old? And how do you know that that wasn't really a reinfection of something that you had been suffering from, maybe from your childhood? I don't, because yeah, I think there are ticks that are very small as well. Uh, that was the only tick bite that I visually saw. So yeah, I don't know. So it is possible that you had been suffering from a tick disease. You inspired to do the research and take the educational training that you did to become a holistic uh, practitioner. And you really began biohacking because you were suffering from Lyme disease before that. And now this bite when you were 25 may have been a bite that caused a reinfection. Yes. Let's now look at the next eight years between the tick bite that you remember and your chronic illness. Talk to us about how your symptoms developed over that eight years and how it really got to its peak just before you were diagnosed with Lyme disease. Um, so yeah, I just get, kept getting more like achy, just feeling achy and flurry a lot, like a lot of dull headaches. There were things that I could still, I could still go to work and push through, um, but it was just, yeah, I just, I just knew that I kind of felt ill a lot of the time and um I think I just got on with it really I just you know I kept researching more and using myself still as a guinea pig and then the day that I remember it's very clear in my mind when my health crashed because it was so like it was just literally an overnight thing um I, I remember having um a coffee in a coffee shop and um I started to feel like very uh, adrenalized and um, I'd never really experienced that before, but I felt like my body was going into a panic attack, which I'd never um, experienced. And I am um, Give us more detail. Sorry, give us more detail. What do you mean it was going into a panic attack? I mean, what were you physically feeling? How were you reacting? What were your thoughts? Give us as much detail as you can remember okay. about that experience. Um, I just started to feel like my throat was getting tight. And there was just like this feeling that I'd never had before. Like it felt like doom, like what is happening to me? My body physically felt like something bad is gonna, is happening to me. I need some help. And I'd never had that feeling before. Um, you know, I, I experienced like um, bouts of depression and things like that growing up as a teenager and had challenges, but I'd never had this feeling of absolute panic in my body and it felt very uncomfortable and I remember calling up my girlfriend at the time to say I'm going to drive myself to the emergency because I just feel like I need to be somewhere where I feel safer um and so I, I started to think was it the coffee did the coffee push me over the edge but you know I'd never had that experience before um so I got in my car and I started to drive to um the hospital which was only like a five minute drive away is very close to where I was living at the time and I don't really remember much because I remember just being overcome with this panic I was in traffic I pulled my car to the side of the road I got out of my car and I laid on the ground and I thought I was going to die and it was I can I can still remember it now because it was just like I'd never experienced anything so scary um and I was just laying on the ground, just like hyperventilating, um, trying to just breathe. And um, some people pulled over and they said, are you okay? And I couldn't really speak because I was, couldn't breathe. Um, and they called an ambulance and then the ambulance turned up. Um, and what was funny was that I kind of, I kind of started to come out of the panic attack or 
all the adrenaline surge and um, it started to calm down and then it would just start up again. Um, and they put me in the ambulance. They were taking like, you know, all my vitals. They were kind of talking to me. They said, have you done it? You know, is anything different happened um, this week? Um, and I was like, no, nothing's happened. And then actually, I don't think I've mentioned this before, but I had this bite on my arm like a week earlier. And it was unusual because it was a very big bite on my right arm. And I thought, I didn't know if it was a flea bite from a dog or if it was a mosquito bite, but I just remember it very vividly. Um, and I remember saying to them in the, in the ambulance, well, there's only one thing that was that has happened the last week and it's been spite on my arm. And they said, oh no, no, yeah, I'm sure it's nothing to do with that. Um, so they took me to hospital, basically told me that I'd had a, pa a panic attack um, and kind of sent me back home. And then that was kind of the day that my nervous system never came out of a panic attack. It literally stayed and still is into this day in this kind of um, fight or flight place all the time. So Sarah, how do you know that, or do you know whether or not that bite that you just remembered during the course of this conversation wasn't in fact another tick bite that caused a reinfection that triggered now your chronic Lyme disease uh, experience? Yeah, I mean, when I put two and two together, when I realized, remembered the first tick bite and then thought, why did I, you know, my body, why did it crash after the second bite, whatever it was? I really thought that either I'd got a co-infection or something else through that bite and it had just been the cherry on top of everything. So Sarah, let's talk about that window of time between your first um, memorable tick bite when you were 25 and this now experience where you had to be taken by ambulance to the hospital because of your adrenal overload. Yeah. Um, you were you were you were a healthcare practitioner, a holistic uh, practitioner. You were biohacking your own body. You were you were living pretty healthily, right? You were eating yeah. well, you were taking herbs, you were managing all of these challenges really well. And yeah. then something happened, right? Now, one of the things we've observed in this podcast repeatedly is mm -hmm. that it's very rare that somebody goes from an acute Lyme experience to a, to a chronic Lyme experience. We really only see that happen in a couple of circumstances, one of which of course is reinfection, right? Mm -hmm. Another thing we see though, however, is that in some cases people are sort of harboring and managing their Lyme disease for a long, long time. And it sounds like you'd be one of the people that would, would have been able to do that because you were living so healthily and you were studying um, you know, in this area. And then sometimes it's some other type of traumatic event, like a breakup, a romantic breakup, or a family member dies, or the loss of a job, or something really traumatic happens. Did you have anything like that going on in your life just before you had your, um, your panic attack experience that took you to the hospital? Um, I was rebranding my website, and I was putting everything together. I, I was very stressed, and I'm a perfectionist <laughs> so um I was yeah I was rebranding my business I was putting out a new website that I'd put a lot of time into um I'd gone through quite a lot of stress with like website developer I'm not getting what I wanted so there was a lot of stress like before this all happened and 
I was literally just about to launch all the things that I've been working on for a year, uh, literally just before <laughs> I got sick. Yeah. So there was so, a lot of stress and pressure on me. Yeah, definitely. So there seems to be a couple of things that were coming together for you at that moment, right? You had yeah. this very stressful professional experience that was, that was taking place. Yeah. And you had this bite on your arm, which very well may have been another tick bite that unfortunately you didn't become aware of until, um, until just before you had gotten really sick. So talk to us about how things progressed from the time you went to the hospital where you were essentially diagnosed with a panic attack yeah. and your ultimately, ultimate diagnosis with Lyme disease. It took me about six months. Um, I think a lot of my family thought I'd had a nervous breakdown because of my symptoms. Um, because literally the next day after I woke up from that, I could, like, I had no energy. I was so exhausted. It felt so ill. I remember calling my mum and just saying, like, I've never felt this ill before. Um, I can't get out of bed. Um, and, you know, my mum said, like, after a panic attack and all that adrenaline, that's very natural. So at the beginning, I just thought that I'd had a bit of a nervous breakdown. But in the back of my mind... I said, this isn't like, cause my heart was, my heart didn't stop. Like it was at a fast rate all the time after that panic attack, it never stopped. And I said to my mum, well, you know, panic, stop, they, panic attacks, they stop and they start, don't they? And I said, also, I'm not having any, you know, I'm not worrying about anything. This, this feels very much like it's just coming from my, phys, you know, like from my body and like, I don't have any control over my nervous system. Um, I went to stay with my mum for a week because she was worried about me and it was there that I just I just remember that week because I just kept having these panic attacks especially at night I'd run into my I just say mum I can't breathe it was just it was um it was just so traumatic I'd never experienced like just that feeling of out of control um and yeah, it took me about six months to actually get a diagnosis. I went to the doctors at the beginning, just to have my bloods done. I even said to them, I think it could be Lyme disease. I had, you know, a tick bite a while ago. Um, and they did like, I think it was just, I can't even remember. It was like a test that they did at the doctors and I, it, it just came back negative. So basically they said, no, no, you're fine. Um, and then I started to research a little bit more online about Lyme disease and tests. And, you know, I read a lot about how testing is very hard with Lyme disease in general. Um, so I found a private clinic called Breakspears Clinic in the UK. And I went there and just kind of saw one of the doctors and explained all my symptoms. And I said, you know, I think it could be Lyme disease. They did, they ran like a whole number of tests on me um and then i went back a week later and they diagnosed me with lyme disease basically okay so let's let's pause there i, I need to walk back with you okay during that six month window when you went from being asymptomatic to symptomatic and the events that were happening during that six month window Mm -hmm. prior to your diagnosis. Now, you said that you were going to doctors during that window of time. And at one point you had said, perhaps I have Lyme disease. What led mm -hmm. you to believe that perhaps you had Lyme disease? I think it was reading something on Instagram, actually. And I think it was someone talking about their anxiety 
and their nervous system and that the doctor said possibly that could be Lyme disease because it very much affects the nervous system. And because I kept saying to everyone, I feel like something's attacking my nervous system. That's all I could say was, I just feel like something's attacking my nervous system. Um, and then when I read that, I was like, something is attacking my nervous system. And I had a tick bite all that time ago. This can't be a coincidence. And that's just when in my mind, I was like, oh, okay. And then I just felt, I thought back and thought, yeah, and your health's been deteriorating since that tick bite. And it just all clicked into place for me, really. So you were, you were doing research as a biohacker, as a holistic yeah. health practitioner, doing what you've always done, certainly from when you were in your early 20s and you, and you developed a passion for health. And as you were identifying your symptoms mm -hmm. and you were researching your symptoms on Google, on Instagram and other places, you started to see your symptoms matching up with the Lyme symptoms. Yes. So you bring that to your doctor and what was your doctor's reaction when you said, Hey doctor, yeah. I'm also a healthcare professional. Mm -hmm. I'm also trained. I yeah. know my body and it looks like Lyme disease is matching up with what my symptoms are. What was the doctor's reaction to you? Um, they kind of just kind of gave me the impression that they thought that I was overreacting because they just went off my blood tests and they said, your, all your vitals are fine. Um, and they kind of just left me in the place where like your blood is fine. So I don't know what, you know, they kind of just left me with no solution. So one of the things we often see in our podcast is people are frustrated when they come in contact with healthcare professionals say to them, Hey, you look good. You can't be <laughs> sick or Hey, you look good. You can't have Lyme disease. So yeah. Um, how did you feel when your doctors were essentially gaslighting you and telling you there was nothing wrong with you? Very depressed, very hopeless. But what I had remembered is that in my early 20s, I felt like that too. Not to the degree that I did at this time because my symptoms were so much more severe. But I remember, you know, my 20s when they couldn't do anything for me and I had to do it myself and go out and research it. And for me, it was just like that was happening again. It was also, it was more scary because it was my nervous system. And I was like, I need some help now. Like, I can't do this anymore. This is too much for me to cope with. But in the back of my mind, I still had that, you know, I guess that fight in me that I'm going to, I'm going to go and find out anyway. Well, and, and, and let's, let's think for a moment what it might be like for someone who wasn't Sarah. For example, you had a model to fall back upon because when you had been sick in the past, you were able to heal yourself you became a professional holistic healthcare uh, professional mm. triggered by that experience, but you had a lot of information, a lot of professional training now in that area before you're getting sick. How do you think you would have reacted if you weren't you and you didn't already have success developing a model to heal yourself and you didn't have all the training and the experience that you had at that time? I think it would, I mean, it'd be a very scary place to be because yeah, I mean, I already had an idea, but for people that don't have an idea, I probably would have got lost in the system for a long time, like being pushed around to different specialists. Now let's talk about how your friends and family were reacting to your now chronic illness. Mm -hmm. uh, you've mentioned your mother a couple of times. How did your mom now view you and your illness, especially after the doctor said, there's nothing wrong with you? 
Hmm, that is a hard one because I think no one really understood the severity of it except for me that was feeling it. I didn't, you know, I could still walk at that point. I didn't have anything outwardly that would say how, or would show how I was feeling inside. And I think for me, that was a really lonely place because I could tell that everyone around me thought that it was psychological um, or that it was from stress and burnout. Um, so yeah, I don't think people knew. And also when I talked about Lyme disease, at that time, none of my family knew anything about it. So there was no awareness of actually how scary an illness it is. Now talk to us about other people in your life. W were you in a romantic relationship? Did you have social relationships with people who now were disappointed in your inability to be the friend or the romantic partner that you had been before? And how did they react to that? Um, I was with my girlfriend, my ex at the time. Um, she was actually really supportive because she could tell, you know, she, I think she was the only one that really believed how severe it was because she would also see like uh, my panic attacks I'd never had before. The fact that I felt like I was absolutely losing my mind, like my nervous system symptoms were always the most severe. So I'd gone from being one person to another just like overnight um I think a lot of friends also thought that I was suffering from depression um I you know yeah there was a few comments from people that we knew or she needs to go and see like somebody for some help for some psychiatric help <laughs> so now share with us how this is all making you feeling your doctors were telling you what was all in your head your mother thought it was all in your head your social context all thought it was in your head. How did that impact you? And did that cause you to believe that perhaps it was all in your head? Um, no, I still, I really still knew that it wasn't in my head because of just how it felt in my body. Um, so I knew it wasn't, but it was very frustrating because, because no one else really understood that. So it definitely did wear down relationships um, and just also just socializing. Cause at the end of the day, when I was socializing, it was just absolutely, you know, for me, I'm not even sure how I did it at that stage, um, but no one could really see anything from the outside. I'm very good at like, you know, when you're suffering on the inside, it's very easy to just put on a happy face. So before I hand you over to Matt, who's going to take you through your diagnostic journey, I'd like you to put on your hat, on, on your holistic um, health practitioner hat for a moment. Talk to us about what you believe all of this social pressure was having on your ability to heal, meaning the people that you loved and loved you the most were doubting you. People that you are trusting with your health, your doctors were doubting you. What impact does that have on someone's ability to heal when they're going through a health crisis the way you are? I think it makes it very difficult to heal because I think, you know, what I've learned the most in our on my journey is that you need to feel safe and supported um, to be able to heal. Like you, you need your body to feel like it's in a safe and your mind to feel like it's in a safe space. Um, so yeah, that's been a huge journey for me in itself. 
Of course it has. And of course, anyone who's on a, on a healing journey is certainly going to have um, that journey uh, lengthened if the people they love are not showing them the kind of support they need. I mean, you just simply don't have the emotional wherewithal to both manage all of these social challenges and then put your body in a position where it can focus on the healing and the battle it needs to go through to overcome the microbes that are attacking your body. So talk a little bit more about how that impacted your healing journey and how you've seen that type of challenge impact other people that you've worked with in your, in your practice. Can you, can you repeat that? <laughs> yeah. So, of course, we, we recognize that um, for our immune system to successfully overcome the challenges that, that Lyme disease creates for it, that all of our energy has to be focused on that healing, right? For our immune system to work properly. And so you have this fight or flight mode going on um, because of the microbes. And then that's exacerbated by your mom not believing you're sick, your um, your doctor is not believing you're sick. Talk about how those two things made it more difficult for you to heal. Um, for me personally, it was a lot of trauma on top. So you've got, you know, you've got all these physical symptoms that's happening to you. Um, and then there's the trauma of people not understanding, not believing you, being gaslighted. So You've got, you've, you've got these chronic symptoms, but then you're actually having all these traumatic symptoms that, you know, for me, cause PTSD. And then you've just got all the emotional stuff on top of the physical stuff. And it becomes, you know, and also your nervous system is already struggling. Add trauma on top of that. And it's just like this absolutely vicious cycle. So Sarah, talk to us more about when you finally got your diagnosis and you said you had to go to a special clinic to get this diagnosis because your primary care doctor and your family just weren't believing you. I'm assuming this clinic in, in England was not covered by insurance. Is that correct? No. Yeah. It was private. Yeah. And now once you saw these specialists who diagnosed you with Lyme disease, what was the first course of action for you to treat this Lyme disease? Um, the first, the, the options that they gave me was, um, a long course of antibiotics, IVs. Um, and at that time, I was already not sure about my, if I wanted to do that, um, just because I'd already been through a lot of like issues with my gut and I already kind of was worried about antibiotics and the effect they were gonna have on my gut health and my immune system in general. And I was still quite like new to, <laughs> new to like the Lyme treatment so at that time I just wasn't sure if I could do the antibiotics there and it would also mean that I'd need someone to drive me there each day to this clinic and it just didn't work out that I could actually do the treatment that they were offering um so I decided to go away and just do a little bit more research and see what else was out there for Lyme disease but I always kept in the back of my mind, okay, if I need to do the antibiotics, we'll just kind of see how it goes. And when you finally got the diagnosis, did this change how your family and many of your friends were viewing you as being just, it's psychological, you're depressed. Did, did many of those people now come onto your side and believe you, or are they still doubting that you were truly sick? No, I think the diagnosis did really help. Like as soon as I got it, I literally cried because I just had so much relief. And the girl, my girlfriend was in the room at the time. And, you know, I think it was 
a relief for her as well. Um, and also when I told my family, I had, you know, a name for it. And then, you know, my mum was there at the time that I had the tick bite. So I do think that it kind of helped people understand. But I still feel at that time that there wasn't enough awareness actually what Lyme disease was um, or, or how long it could take to treat or that just that kind of thing. So it was a bit difficult. It still kind of felt difficult because even myself, I didn't really have enough awareness about, about Lyme in general. When you say at that time, that was only six years ago, correct? Yes, yeah. And in, in the UK specifically, has Lyme awareness improved over the last six years? Um, yeah, I think it has. I think definitely more of my friends are aware of it. Um, and then my sisters and their friends are aware of it. And that's kind of word of mouth. You know, my sisters know that, you know, I got a tick bite. So I think they're more aware of the danger of ticks and it's kind of just like sharing it through friends. Um, I'm still not sure though, if like in the doctor surgeries, they're still, I don't really think they're still that aware or treating it as something that can be very dangerous. So it sounds like it is sort of like it is here where so many more people are developing chronic Lyme. And as a result, more and more people are becoming aware of the real dangers of Lyme disease, but the medical community still hasn't really caught up yet. It sounds like over in the UK as well. Yeah, that's definitely, yeah, that sounds exactly the same. Yeah. So talk us more about your research and thank God you had your holistic health practitioner background to be able to research this. So talk to us more about your research when you left the clinic and what you learned and what you decided to do after your research? Um, so I think I was, I was following an Instagram account at the time and I can't remember the, the girl's name, but it was, I, I think she was into like paleo nutrition and things like that. Um, and she was actually getting treated for Lyme at the time because she had developed like severe anxiety. Um, so I could kind of relate to her because that's exactly what happened to me. So I was kind of following what she was doing. And um, then I kind of was more aware of like different herbs that you could take and things like that. Um, but I think also at that time, my I was researching a lot of things. Like I was listening to, um, I think it was, I'm not sure if it was a podcast but they were talking about Lyme. And I just remember taking all the notes, like like a whole page of notes about all these different treatments that I could try. And I remember this is like in the first year of my diagnosis or maybe the first six months. I'm just looking at this whole page of like all these things. And I'm just thinking, oh my God, it's really overwhelming. I don't even know where to start. Um, so I did find a um, like a herbalist guy that I knew. Um, and I went to see him because I just knew that I just couldn't do it on my own. And even though I'd like to try, cause that's kind of the person I am, I'm like my, <laughs> my own guinea pig. I was just like, yeah, I can't do this on my own. I need, I need some help. And so I went to this herbalist guy and um, I don't think he actually knew that much about Lyme in general, um, but he knew a lot about the immune system and, you know, parasites and microbes in general. And he, he did like, um, is it dark, I can't, live blood analysis, where he would look at the blood under the microscope. And um, so he was very much into that. And um, so I started treating with him and 
he also put me on um and cannabis oil so that was kind of like my first step into like researching herbs and like how they can affect Lyme disease Sarah when you say cannabis oil is that the same as CBD oil or is that is that THC as well yeah so it was really really strong stuff and um it was I think I did that treatment for like four months it was really 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 intense and I felt absolutely terrible um but I did actually start to feel better after about four months of this FICO treatment um and I actually did did get to a place where my nervous system was starting to calm down um and I could kind of I was having like better days good days and that was only after about four months of treating with lots of herbs along with the cannabis oil and I got to a place where I'd say I was about 80% better and my nervous system was feeling like yeah I kind of almost felt like myself again um but at that time I was <laughs> I didn't know enough about Lyme I think I was still a bit like naive I thought oh I'm getting better and stupidly enough and I look back on this I stopped all of my treatment because I felt so much better and because I'd like had such a horrible year I just went out and was like okay I'm gonna live my life again and um <laughs> I, I shouldn't have stopped basically. I know now looking back that I should have done some maintenance treatment. Totally understandable where you're coming from, right? I mean, you, you think yeah. you're better, you think you're gonna to continue to get better. But before yeah. you continue, I just wanna bounce back for a second. So the cannabis oil was CBD and THC, is that correct? So it gave you that, that uh, the high as well that comes along with it? Yeah, so the, um, the re he gave me very high THC um, because that was meant to be, the, to be able to kill the Lyme. Um, which I definitely felt in the three to four months of treatment because it was really severe die-off. And one of the things we've learned is that CBD and THC do help regulate the nervous system. So do you believe that that high dose THC and CBD helped you sort of shock your nervous system back into a normal state? Yeah, I don't, it was very gradual and it kind of like, um, it took about at least, yeah, at least three to four months for my nervous system to like calm down. And do you think that the herbs in combination with the THC and the CBD were a good complement to work together to help your, your healing journey? And, and if so, what were the herbs specifically, if you can recall, that you took that helped you feel better? Oh, my goodness. Like, um, so basically, he was a herbalist and he'd just give me like this big bag of herbs. Like it was a mixture of loads. I'll try and remember some of them. And then I'd have to boil it up in a tea and then drink it in the morning. Um, there was like cat's claw in there um Japanese knotweed astragalus for the immune system uh ashwagandha led they're like the main ones I can remember Paldiarco. there was just yeah a lot of the herbs like to, just to kill microbes basically and most of the herbs you just described are in Stephen Buhner's protocol and also in Dr. Rolls's restore kit which have been proven last year and now this year to not only be effective against Lyme disease but also Babesia and also COVID as well. So it seems like, you know, before we even really had these scientific studies to prove this, your doctor knew and you had a, a good treatment that it's even more effective than antibiotics that you could have went on in the beginning. So that, that sounds like it was a good step you made back then. Yeah, I definitely, yeah, I could definitely feel the benefits from it. 
Now talk to us about the crash. So you're 80% better. You stop mm-hmm. all your medication. You start living your life, you know, and again, totally understand that. And then mm-hmm. it sounds like you, you had a crash because you just started kind of being normal, right? And then your body couldn't handle it and you started to get sick again. So walk us through that part of your journey. Yeah. So basically, um, I, I was doing well and then I got a really bad flu or something. And um, yeah, just got really sick for a week. Couldn't like, you know, like proper, proper flu where you just like can't even get off the sofa. Everything was hurting. And um, after that, I just remember starting to feel like I started to experience like um, just kind of depersonalization. Like I remember sit like sitting in the kitchen and just feeling like my it, for me it's just when my brain just doesn't feel like it's working properly and I'll just kind of start to just feel very disconnected to my body and um, very numb. And I thought, oh, I started to feel like, okay, this doesn't feel good. I could start to feel that my nervous system was having some problems. And then I think it was like a week later and I woke up and I just, I remember waking up in the morning and it was like a switch had flicked in my head again. And it's just like my whole nervous system had just literally gone into that space that I remember. And I just remember thinking to myself, oh my God, like I couldn't, at that time, I just thought I'd, I thought I'd got better. So I didn't know that it could come back so quickly. And um, yeah, and I was in a new relationship at the time because actually my past relationship had ended. Um, and so I was in a new relationship. And um, so that was quite stressful as well because they had only kind of seen me in my healthier like period. And um, yeah, just literally overnight again, my nervous system had gone into that like total panic, like fight or flight. And I just remember thinking, oh my God, I'm back here again. I can't believe it. Um, so that was, yeah, that was really scary. And then I thought, okay, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> um, and that's when I knew that I had to go back and start looking at treatment again. So prior to this, you were treating with an herbalist, just using herbs and the THC and the CBD. Yeah. Now that you had this resurgence of symptoms, did you go back to the herbalist or did you seek the counsel of another doctor over there in England? So I went back to the herbalist because I thought, okay, they got me better before, they can do it again. <laughs> um, but at that time, things went, things just felt different. The cannabis oil wasn't working the same. I'm not sure if the lime... You know, I've heard that the lime can adapt to things and it can remember. So I don't know if that's what happened, but the, t- the THC and the cannabis just wasn't, I did it for like six months and I just wasn't getting better. And I'd started developing um, like different neurological problems after that. I started developing really severe OCD that I hadn't had before. So at that time I started to get worried because the brain stuff was getting much worse. Um, and that was when I was just I was just getting really desperate because obviously I was doing the herbs and everything that had gotten me better before and it wasn't helping um so I started to research kind of what options did I have next um and that's when I started looking into stem cells talk to us about stem cells we've had a lot of guests who have used stem cells with varying degrees of success 
We've also yeah. he heard of the word exosomes thrown out there, which I think are sort of related to stem cells. So can you talk to us about what you found in your research and mm -hmm. if you decided to move forward with stem cell therapy based on your research? Um, so yeah, I, I researched stem cells a lot and I, I had read some really good um, stories from people getting better from stem cells especially there were people talking about the neurological symptoms and that they were having success with the stem cells. So that was kind of drawing me towards them. Um, and I also liked the idea that of the immune modulation, because I thought, okay, like that's a big part of, you know, help like curing or getting into remission is that I need my immune system to be able to work properly instead of just focusing on killing the Lyme so that's why I was quite drawn to the stem cells because I was I thought the modulation made a lot of sense to me um and yeah so basically that was kind of what I discovered and then I decided to I was a bit nervous because it for me it was like a very expensive treatment like for the, the herbs had been like you know more affordable this was going to be like a big lump sum of money um but at that time I was I was really really desperate so I was kind of just ready to try anything to be honest so now at this point did you I'm sure you had to find a clinic or a doctor that would help you and and give you the stem cells so what research did you do in that regard and where did you land to actually get the stem cell therapy I followed I was following a lot of people on Facebook uh, I think there was a Lyme group there and a lot of people were talking about Infusio clinic in Germany and um, there was another clinic in Germany as well I can't remember the name of it um, so I was looking into both clinics they were both offering I think one was offering blood stem cells and the other was offering um, fat stem cells and blood stem cells and I was quite interested at the time in, in fat stem cells because they were the ones that were a lot of people were talking about that were really going to help that the nervous system um so in the end I went uh to Infusio for fat stem cells um and yeah I think that was 2017 yeah the end of 2017 so Sarah, can you just quickly explain to us the difference between a fat stem cell and a blood stem cell for those that are listening? Okay, I'm not sure <laughs> the science, but basically um, they would take your own, so they're, they're using your own stem cells in, these, in, in this stem cell treatment. So they would either take your own blood and then put it in this machine and do whatever they do with it. <laughs> um, and then that's like injected back into you. Um, or if they take your own fat, from your body and then do the same with that and then put that back into you as, as fat stem cells. So they're either using your fat or your, or your blood. So we've heard about Infusio in, in Germany and many of our guests have gone there as well. And they often do other things in addition to stem cells. So while you went to Infusio, did you do any other sort of therapies or protocols while you were there in addition to stem cells or did you focus just on the stem cell therapy? Um, well, it was like mainly stem cells, but they did like, I was there for two weeks. So they do like a lot of IVs preparing your body for the stem cells, um, some detoxing and yeah, just a lot of different like IVs just to kind of support your body, detox your body and get you ready. And then in the second week you do the stem cells, um, 
so that the stem cells are the main focus but there was yeah a lot of ivs like around it so talk to us about what that was like so the the actual time you got the stem cells injected mm -hmm. and what that was like physically did you feel any different or did you feel the same um so whilst i was there i would say the ivs and everything they also gave me like iv ozone and that was the first time i'd experienced that and that was really really helpful for my pain and migraines because at that time i was experiencing like daily migraines basically and um i remember just having the iv ozone it just kind of took all my pain away like instantly and i just remember thinking wow that's that's a really really cool treatment um i didn't really feel like any different in my nervous system in that time. And that's kind of what I was looking for the most was just some relief. Um, I didn't really get any in that, in those two weeks. Um, but I did, yeah, I did definitely like get some improvement with like the pain and the energy part. Um, and then towards the end when I had the stem cells put in, um, it, yeah, I didn't really feel any difference like it was just an IV and there was no like instant different feelings for me, I think, but I did have a, like a lot of hope, I guess. So I did feel, I guess, emotionally uplifted and hopeful. So I felt lighter as well. All right, so now you, now you leave Germany, you come home back to England, you feel some immediate effects from the IV ozone, your pain and your migraines are getting better. Mm -hmm. You're not really sure yet how these stem cells have worked for you. Do you decide to just stop and, and not really do any more treatment and see how that works? What are your next steps now that you're back home? So yeah, they advised me actually to not do any treatment. So they just want you to like, just go home and let the stem cells settle into your body. It's kind of not very, yeah, it's not advised to do much at all. So they just want you to go home and rest and then just like let your body absorb, I guess, and process like the last two weeks of treatment. So for me, that was actually really nice, like mentally that I could just go home and just not think about having to do anything. Um, and just kind of, yeah, mentally, I could just actually switch off. I didn't have to think about, oh, what treatment am I gonna do next? So that was actually really nice. Um, and I'd say in those first two weeks, I did actually notice improvements in my nervous system. I had a few, I would say there were windows cause it wasn't ever like, it wasn't that it got better, better, better. It was like, I'd have like a, a moment where I felt my nervous system calmed down or like even just an hour or, you know, a couple of days. I definitely felt like a lot calmer in the first, like, I guess the first month. Um, so that was encouraging for me, but there was also really horrible days as well. But they said that, you know, the stem cells, there's going to be a lot of things going on in your body and your immune system is going to be like doing a lot of work. So it really was a roller coaster, but I did see some um, improvements and like moments where I was like, okay, this, this seems good. So talk to us about now the time period after the first month, did you now look for additional treatments? Were you feeling even better in the months to come? What happened in the next couple of months? Um, I still was like just letting the stem cells do their thing. And um, I think I did go back. The, the program they had was you could go back for like an additional treatment 
I think six months after the stem cells and it was like an immune it was like I can't remember what they called it now but it was like to help your immune system um so I did actually go back to Germany to have that but for me I'm not sure that was the best option because I really had like a really severe crash after that um treatment which was yeah quite disheartening um I again my stuff was always like my nervous system would fire up and I felt like um I haven't been diagnosed with it but I think that I have like kind of like um like pans so when my um my when my immune system starts going insane like it just attacks my brain and I just I got like really really severe depression anxiety like for a couple of weeks after that treatment um but the clinic said that like um basically when the stem cells are working that they're like your body is also releasing more histamine into the body and also that's gonna have an effect on the cytokines and then so it's kind of just like a when you're when you're healing you can just feel terrible at the same time so for me after the stem cells it really was like in that year after the stem cells it was like a roller coaster and I think that's common we've heard that from a lot of other guests as well that when the stem cells are working as you noted they are going to be repairing and rebuilding cells. And in the mm-hmm. process, they're going to be generating histamines, which can cause inflammation and cytokines, which will make you feel worse. But that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that that's giving you a setback. That could actually be a sign of, of healing, which is weird to say and sounds weird, but that's, yeah. that's definitely a possibility. Yeah. So now this one-year window, you're having this up and down, a little bit better, worse, better, worse. So at the end of this one-year window post-stem cell therapy, Give us an idea of where you're at health-wise. I remember the summer of after the stem cells, like I feel like uh, I felt like I was getting better. I still had the nervous system stuff in the background, but it was like, I definitely felt energy-wise and definitely my, like I could go for walks and my body felt strong. And um, I did spend a couple of months in Slovenia, which I think helped as well, because it was very like the air is really clean there. It was really sunny. Like I feel like environment is really important, but um, yeah, I felt like I was getting stronger and stronger, but then I started to feel um, like my nervous system was kind of freaking out again. And I've heard this from other people that had stem cells, but I think I started to develop mast cell activation where my immune system had just started to, I think I'd already had was already experiencing mast cell reactions anyway through Lyme disease, but this just started to become much more apparent. And again, like it was frustrating because I got to a point where I thought everything was getting better. And then I had a huge crash again, which seems to happen to me a lot. Um, And it's, it's like an overnight thing. I literally woke up like the next day and I could I could tell straight away because all of the information goes to my brain and um like I just feel like a different person and then I was having like um every time I would eat my body would start shaking so I was having like severe allergic reactions to like everything I was eating um and I started to think oh okay this feels like mast cell activation this feels like my immune system has gone like 
from like a, a like a healing place to like overreactive and then my body was just reacting um to everything and that was really really scary well again despite all this terrible stuff happening thank god you had this background to recognize mast cell activation because many don't even know what that is frankly many doctors don't even truly understand that now okay. i guess it's a two-part question here do you believe your development of MCAS or your worsening of MCAS was a result of the stem cells? I don't know. And I really struggle myself to know, to be honest. Um, mentally, I don't want to go there because it was such a big treatment for me and a big step that I, and also I just feel like every one of my treatments has built on the last. I never want to look at any of my treatments as a mistake or that they made me worse because for me, I just feel like they're, they're all steps that I feel like I've taken from my intuition or my guidance or however you want to see, um, you know, how you follow your own path in life. So for me, mentally, I'm just like, I don't know. Um, I definitely had symptoms of mast cell before stem cells. I don't think I had them as severely. Do I think the stem cells might have played around my immune system and caused it? Maybe, yes. Um, it's still a difficult one for me to, I can't say definitely yes or no, because it's hard to say that. I don't even know if this would have happened anyway, because the way that Lyme disease affects the immune system. Um, so me, I'm still like, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, Sarah, I can tell you that Rich and I totally agree with what you just said, that your healing journey is the culmination of every healing modality you've done throughout your experience. And that you probably wouldn't be, well, I, I personally believe you would not be where you are today if it weren't for the collective effect of every treatment you've done so far. So we're, we're firm believers of that. Yeah. Now, now that you, and unfortunately, it's a second time, you're, you're almost better, 80% better. Your, your life's coming back at the, at the end of the one-year period after stem cells. Yeah. Boom, you crash again. Mass cell activation syndrome, you're eating, you're getting all these symptoms, and you're having all these flare-ups. What do you do yeah. now? Yeah, that was a really hard year for me, to be honest, because I really felt like the stem cells were going to be the answer. And because I'd waited, like when you have the stem cells, it's like a whole, you know, they tell you you've got to wait one, at least a year to see the improvement. So I was waiting for that year. <laughs> and then it's like almost like, oh, I get a glimpse of it. And then was a crash. So mentally for me, I was just like, oh, what do I, what do I even do now? Because for stem cells, they were like, the big thing for me I thought that it was going to be the answer so I do you know I don't even think I did much for a while because I think I was just so um well definitely traumatized I definitely went into survival mode and I think I just went in, into denial about how bad I felt um because my my like brain crashed so badly I think I just went into a place where I couldn't actually help myself at that time um and it took me a while to kind of just start doing things and I did I think that year I did most of it on my own um because I didn't know where to go next so um I started doing some herbs again like ones that I knew I'd taken before I, tr I was trying stuff like that, but at that, that year was hard because my system was really reactive. Like it was reacting to everything that I did. Um, so I was just trying to like calm it down. And 
in hindsight, I should have definitely got some help for the mast cell stuff, but really, I don't know, my personality is just very much like do it on my own. Um, I started taking some stuff in my gut um, and I think I, I did start to get like a bit of improvement. Oh, I went to acupuncture actually. I did some acupuncture to see if they could just calm down the reactions. Um, but did that yeah, help not, there, acupuncture. Sorry. Did the acupuncture help in your opinion? Is that something that you think was helpful? Yeah, I mean, it didn't. I think it helped to a degree. Um, my body was just so reactive that year. I think it was hard to get anything to really bring to calm it down. Um, but looking back, it was like very, very slow improvements, I think. Um, I'm actually just trying to think what I did that year because it was a, it was a very, it was a hard year for me mentally. Like that, that year I spent a lot of it literally couldn't get out of bed because not so much physically, but just mentally, like I was really suffering from severe panic and depression. Um, and yeah, I was totally in survival mode that year. So, so Sarah, at this point, now you're, you're a few years post-diagnosis. You've done a wide variety of things to treat Lyme. You now have a new relationship. So talk to us about how your declining health was affecting your relationship with your friends, your mom, and your new girlfriend at the time. Um, I think for me... I think for me, it was just hard because I started to feel a lot of resentment, <laughs> um, especially just because I think, I just didn't, I didn't think that people could see how much I was suffering. It was very much like, can you not see how much I'm suffering? Because on the outside, you just can't see anything. Um, and I think um, my girlfriend's actually always been really, really amazing at supporting me. Like she's she's always been 100% behind me um but she's seen I think she's the one that sees everything as well like she sees all of like the you know the reactions I get that I don't hide from other people so um I've always felt like she's behind me which has been you know I don't know what I would have done if I had to do it all on my own <laughs> and this is your current girlfriend as well still right you're still with this this woman yes yeah um but I'd say the strains on a relationship for me like has been not being able to earn any money um you know I had to put all of my coaching my business on hold like all of my energy went on to my healing so I feel like losing your independence um definitely puts a stress on all of your relationships you know it put a stress on my relationship with my parents with my sisters and my friends with my girlfriend because I felt like I could you know we don't live together because I couldn't financially support you know myself um I had to live with my parents which is is hard to do when you know you're in your late 30s you like living back with your parents that's also quite a strain as well so I'd say it's yeah it's definitely it's really hard on relationships so although your girlfriend was very supportive because she saw 
the truth and she could really see through and see exactly what was going on. How are your parents responding to you at this point? Again, because you're several years in, you're now probably two years post stem cells and you're in a bad psychological and physical state. Were your parents sort of pivoting back to think maybe it was psychological again? Were they supporting you in, in the Lyme diagnosis still? Were they encouraging you to get treatment? What was that relationship like at this time? Um, they were there for me, but I don't think they knew. I still don't think that they were aware that this, this was the Lyme disease. Um, I think it's really hard to see people that you love in pain or in that place. And um, I think also, I just, I still think that there isn't enough awareness of Lyme disease. Like people just don't take it as seriously as it is. I think it, to some people it can just sound, oh, it's a bacteria, but it's like, until you've experienced the effects of that, I think it's really hard for other people to understand to the level that you want them to. Um, so at that time, I think, um, they've always supported me with treat. If I say I want to do a treatment that, that, you know, I've really had their support. Like they've never questioned me. Um, so I, I feel really lucky for that, but yeah, I think the hardest part is just people being aware of, of it. <laughs> so it, just, it sounds like they were starting to have doubts whether or not it was truly Lyme and now saying, could it be psychological? Like we thought it was before the Lyme diagnosis. So your parents and your friends are starting to have doubts because it's been so long and you were still so sick. And the lack of awareness, you know, I can kind of kind of understand why people would have those doubts, despite the fact that it's a real chronic illness. Yeah. And I think also that people expect that when you have treatment, you're going to get better straight away. So there's like, well, you've done this treatment and this treatment. Why isn't it getting better? Um, you know, maybe it isn't. Yeah. Just the line. Maybe it's, you know, your, your mental health, too. Now, did that contribute to your mental health decline? Because you mentioned that you were pretty much bed bound, not really solely because of the physical condition, but the overwhelming emotional and psychological part that comes along with Lyme disease. Do you think all of these doubts that you picked up and, and sensed from your family and loved ones were contributing to your decline in mental health at this time? I think it was a maybe a part of it, but I think most of it was brain inflammation. Like, I really feel like it was hugely like not in my control like I didn't even think that it wasn't even didn't even relate to what was happening it was like I just felt like my whole brain was just like not working um yeah because it wasn't rational how I was feeling or thinking and my body was just I'd wake up and I would just go into a panic attack straight away so it was just like my body was like just in panic and shock all the time so before we move on with your, your healing journey and the other things you've done, I just want to stop again and focus on your girlfriend because we've done polls on our social media. We've talked to the countless people that suffer from chronic Lyme disease. And unfortunately, the majority of them feel they're not worthy of love. They feel that they, because they can't contribute financially, as you know, because they can't show up physically at times and because their illness is unpredictable, that nobody will love them and they're not, and they're not capable of, of receiving that love. Now, how did you manage to overcome all of those things in your relationship and still have a successful relationship that is in existence today with your girlfriend? Oh, that is, that's a deep question. I feel really emotional because that is exactly how you feel. You just feel like you are not worthy of love. Um, 
that's something that I'm still working on today to be honest like it is like as soon as you said it like it it just brings up a lot um I mean our relation I mean it has been a straight even though she's been there for me it's been really really hard to like we've been together for nearly five years um and we've had to work at that we've been through everything like she's been there in the days that I couldn't get out of bed where you know you know to be brutally honest I was telling her that I wanted to die like she's been there through every part of that and um a lot of the time you're so like it was hard to have a relationship when you're so consumed with your own symptoms um and you feel like you have nothing to give this person <laughs> like you know um a, a, especially with like the psychological stuff because you can't really feel any emotions of love like to be honest you know there's there's a lot of things that are really hard in your relationship when you're depressed and when your brain isn't working properly to hold a relationship together um but I've always tried to separate the line from me as well that's how I think I've kept it like if I feel like something is the line creating something in me I'm just going to try and separate that from our relationship um and I've always been like I'm quite very stubborn person as well um so I just always kind of tell myself the Lyme is not going to win in this like um which has really kept us I guess we both fight it together like we see the Lyme as a, a separate part so that helps us kind of get through the really really tough times but I'm not gonna lie it's, it's hard <laughs> So fighting it together and also yeah. separating the line from who you are, Lyme is yeah. not your identity. Those are two major tips that you just gave us for people that are either looking for a relationship or are struggling to keep a relationship with Lyme disease. Those are really two powerful, I think, recommendations that people can hopefully listen to and, and benefit from. Right, before we move on from this topic, are there any other tips or tricks or recommendations you've learned over the last five years in battling chronic Lyme? that have helped you maintain your relationship that could help maybe other people shortcut some bad experiences or breakups or, or mistakes they may make in their romantic relationships? Um, being brutally honest when you don't want to be <laughs> sharing like this, the emotions you don't want to share. Cause I think, those are the, the times that you can come together. Like when you're really scared, and I think a lot of people with chronic illness, we go into survival mode. So we we literally shut down. That's how we cope. Um, and for me, it was just like really noticing those moments when I really shut down. And I really had to like force myself to let Sarah, like her, she's called Sarah, by the way. <laughs> we have the same name. <laughs> to let her in and actually like say, like, this is how I feel right now. Um, you know, just recognizing those moments when you don't want to you, that you like kind of have to open up and let somebody in um and I think another thing that has really helped is that uh, we both like really recognize like working on our you know going to see a therapist um getting emotional help and working on trauma for me that I need to definitely start working on 
the past trauma in my life, uh, the trauma through the chronic illness, um, to really start like seeing therapists to deal with my trauma. And um, I can really um, say the EFT tapping I use a lot um, to deal with like the emotions when they come up to process them. I'd say that's like been a really helpful thing for me and my relationships. I mean, it reflects in my relationship. So Sarah, I just want to thank you for being so vulnerable and open because not many people are willing to be so raw about their emotional relationships and suffering with chronic Lyme. And, and on that note, as far as the trauma and the therapy and the EFT tapping, I know from your pre-interview questionnaire that you've also done EMDR as well. So can you talk to us about the emotional healing side from Lyme disease? We talked a lot about the physical and the, and the medicinal to heal from the physical aspect, but you mentioned the EFT tapping helped you significantly. Was there any other components of the emotional and trauma healing that you feel can benefit others listening that are crucial parts to the Lyme healing journey? Um, yeah, the EMDR therapy was really kind of my, my first like step into like dealing with my trauma. I felt like it was really, at that time I had started to feel very numb and I knew that like, that was basically my body and brain dealing with everything that had happened. So I started to feel very numb to protect myself. Um, so EMDR kind of just helped me get back in touch with like, the really uncomfortable feelings and process them. Um, I wouldn't say it was an easy time. It was really difficult actually, but I definitely, it, I could see like the progression. Um, I did it for like, I actually, I need to go back and do some more because I only did it for like four months and then the pandemic came. So um, everything was like, cause it was in person and then everything kind of stopped. Um, but oh, and I did some somatic therapy as well, um, dealing with the trauma and that was really good. Sarah, before we go on, I'm sorry, would you mind just explaining EMDR? It sounds intimidating and, and it sounds very difficult, but we've had a lot of past guests have major success with EMDR. So yeah. can you explain to us what that really is? Is, is it, you know, is it just talking therapy? Is it, is it, you know, what's really involved in that? And you feel it's worthwhile for others to, to try that? Yeah, I really do feel like it's worthwhile. And for me, it was, uh, it's a talking therapy where you, um you go back and you talk about traumas in your life and then you're the like practitioner or the therapist um like holds up this thing and that you watch it with your eyes so basically your eyes go left to right left to right as you're processing and talking about like your past trauma and it's it's I don't exactly know exactly what it does but it's to do with like the left and the right side of the brain and it's able to like help you process those memories and kind of put them back in like a, a healthier way into your brain. Um, and for me, it was really beneficial because it took me back to um, places in my past, which I didn't realize were traumatic. I think there's a lot of things that happen in our lives, which we don't even realize that we're traumatized um, and we kind of just store them away. So for me, it was really eye-opening actually to work through things in my past that had been a trauma for me and to be able to kind of process them and feel a bit lighter and that just made me feel like it was going to benefit my healing journey 
because I just think yeah if you can offload some of that trauma and just help your nervous system then it's only going to benefit like whatever you do next so although it may be uncomfortable to relive and, and open up those traumatic experiences from your past the after effect is very relieving and and sort of you have this lighter feeling is how it's been described to us and that benefit far outweighs the uncomfortableness of having to relive those experiences. Is that, is that something you'd agree with? Yeah, definitely. I felt like um, a lot stronger person when I ca came out. Just, uh, yeah, I did just feel a lot diff like different in myself. Like, and I noticed that how I would deal with things afterwards was different. So I could tell that, yeah, it had shifted something. So talk to us a little bit more about the somatic therapy you just described. What is that? Is that talking therapy as well? Is that a similar technique or what, what is that all about? Um, it's kind of working on the trauma and the theory that the trauma is stored, that emotion gets stored somewhere in your body. So like when you go through a trauma, it's if we don't process that emotion at the time, because a lot of the time, you know, we're, kind of taught to push it down push it away don't feel it that it goes somewhere and gets stored somewhere in the body so um when I've had my sessions they like kind of just make you like close your eyes get in contact with your body and you like feel these sensations in your body and then you kind of it's like you talk to them you connect with them you give them like a name like however you're however you're personally gonna process something and it just like brings up this emotion up and out. It's actually really fascinating when you do it because it can be like, wow, where the hell did that come from? Like you could just feel like all this grief come up that you know is like, you know, some from something else that you stored and you just feel all this grief. And I remember the first session I had, I just remember just crying and it was very overwhelming. It almost felt like too much like emotion. Um, but they kind of talk you through it. They teach you how to breathe and process it. And afterwards, I just remember feeling like, wow, just so different. And I just felt so much lighter. Um, so yeah, it's basically just kind of releasing trauma from that's stuck in the body, basically. And I know this may sound very woo woo to many people listening and sound sort of out there. But yeah. I just have to say that so many of our past podcast guests and people we've come into contact with have told us that this emotional healing has been the final part of the healing journey, that in addition to healing physically, you must address the emotional trauma and the emotional complications of chronic Lyme disease. And that's the key to finally getting better and sustaining that remission in, in many cases, people that we've spoken with. So that's why I want to explore this so deeply with you. And it's clearly had a major impact in your recovery as well. The final yeah. piece I just want to dig deeper in, on is the EFT tapping. So again, it sounds so bizarre. You're sort of just tapping, right? And you're, and you're yeah. thinking and you're talking. So talk to us more about what EFT therapy is or EFT, this tapping technique and how it's helped you in your healing journey. Um, so EFT is um, emotional freedom um, technique and basically you're tapping on meridian points around your body and you're kind of again connecting with what's going on in your body so you, I mean I follow some things on YouTube that are like free and they just like talk you through ones um, and I like the tapping solution as well which is a really good app that I follow um, and basically I just do it every day whenever I have like something come up that I feel like I can't process or it just feels too much I'll just like tap through the points as I'm like processing the emotions so you know you can repeat to yourself how you're feeling 
um, as you tap through and it just helps your body just process it and release it. And you can do positive like affirmations. So um, the ones that I really like is like telling my body that I feel safe and grounded because I think with nervous system stuff and trauma, like you just, a lot of the time you don't feel safe in your body. So if I'm starting to feel like my symptoms flare up or, um, or just get anxious, like I just kind of tap through the points telling myself that I feel safe, I feel grounded. And I've been really working on that like daily for like the last couple of months. And it's really had a profound shift for me. So Sarah, I know I took us off on a whole tangent off to the side since we were talking about your stem cells and then your your one year later, and then you sort of had this emotional and physical breakdown where you had those brain inflammation. But something happened between, you know, the two years out of, of your stem cells and today, mm-hmm. because here yeah. you are today, we've been talking for hours when you factor in our offline chat, you are giving us brilliant information. So what happened between that time we left off at and today? where you were able to heal this much and, and really now be in a place to help other people. Okay. So I, um, I went to a clinic in Cyprus called Neomed. Um, that was at the beginning of 2019. Um, and I did like a, um, I think it was like a two month treatment of, um, ozone therapy. So it was like really intensive ozone therapy, a lot of gut healing, IVs, um, but the like the main bit was ozone because I went there because I wanted to um, work on my brain inflammation. And a lot of people have said that ozone had really helped bring down their inflammation in their brains. Um, so for me, that was like the next step. So I went there and I did like a two month protocol um, and it was really, really helpful. Like I do feel like it, I, it targeted a lot of things all at the same time um and it was also I, I chose Cyprus as well because it was a lot more um affordable than other places for ozone um because in the UK it's just really really expensive to get ozone um so I was having like 10 pass ozone so that's where they basically put the ozone the, into your blood and clean it through and then they put the ozonate oxid I can't say (laughs) the blood back into your body um so I was having that like nearly every day for two months so it was a really intense treatment um and when that finished the pandemic actually hit so I was actually stuck in Cyprus for um I think another month after that until I could come home um so after I had the treatment and came home um I still I was doing parasite cleansing at that time so they sent me home with like a protocol to do so I did a lot of parasite cleansing in the next couple of months Sarah do you know those parasite protocols what do you know specifically what was in those protocols or was it more of like a a protocol they just send you yeah it was like an individual one so basically they muscle tested me before I left and gave me ones that like yeah that my body kind of chose um but I'm, I'm just trying to think, I can't remember any of the actual names of the stuff because it was all like tinctures <laughs> in little bottles. Uh, on um, that parasite note though, I'm sorry to interrupt again, yeah. but um, a lot of people that we've been speaking to lately have been very interested in, in parasite cleanses and parasites in the gut, parasites mm-hmm. in the brain, parasites in the heart and all throughout the body. 
And many people we speak to actually pass parasites and they actually find parasites in their stool. So yeah. I don't know how deep you went into this parasite cleanse, but were you actually passing parasites? You know, was there any more information you can give us about these parasite cleanses? Yeah, no, I've never seen any in my stools or anything like that, either, even though I'd love to. I don't know, I'm a bit strange like that, but um, I like the actually visually seeing something. But um, no, I mean, I when I was in at Neomed, they were doing colonics and things like that. So that you would be doing the parasite cleanses and they'd do the colonics and flush everything out. Um, but I, yeah, I don't think I've seen in, anything personally, but I know people that have, so... <laughs> Yeah. So now you're home, you did the ozone, you're feeling better, you do, you're doing the parasite cleanses. Is there anything else you're doing now that you're home, the, the pandemic hit? I know from your, your pre-interview questionnaire that bee venom therapy was somewhat of a role in your healing journey as well. So where did that come in? Um, so that started, I think, when I came back from Neomed, I think I started the bee venom therapy in the summer. So like about three to four months afterwards. Um, because for me, I just still came back and I was still like, okay, I've still got, I still felt my brain was still the issue, my nervous system. Um, and funny thing was I looked at bee venom therapy when I first got diagnosed and I remember looking at it and thinking, I could never do that. <laughs> um, it was just like, wow, how people sting themselves with bees. That's, that's crazy. But I always had it in the back of my mind. Um, and actually a friend had started doing it um, and she told me that she was doing it. And then I started researching it a bit and I was like, okay, maybe this is my next step. Um, maybe this is the next bit for the neurological symptoms because um, when I read that the venom crosses the blood brain barrier, I knew that that was something that I wanted to try and just to see if I noticed a difference. And so, yeah, I've been stinging 10 10 months now and um I mean it's been it's a really intense treatment it's not for the faint-hearted but I've definitely seen a lot of improvement in my neurological symptoms so that it can be very scary thinking about willingly stinging yourself with bees when you could have an allergic reaction you're really sort of doing it on your own so when you first stung yourself for the first time walk us through what that was like so you're taking a, a live bee you're yes. putting them in tweezers, right? And yeah. I think you're stinging yourself in your back. Is that what you're stinging yourself? Yeah, so you're stinging along the side of your spine. So you're stinging like an inch away from your spine and then two inches down each sting, basically. Um, and my testing, my friend did my testing. So the testing's just like you put it in and it's for 30 seconds. And I can remember that one because I was just like, oh my god I this it was so painful I was just like how am I going to do 10 of these because like you know the full, full protocol is 10 stings and I was just like oh my gosh I remember saying to her like how are you doing this it's, it's so painful she was like no it gets easier um and then yeah then I had to basically learn to sting myself so with the tweezers I'll stand in front, front of a long mirror and then I've got like another little mirror hold up here and then you're kind of stay, trying to sting along your back and then look in the mirror at the same time, which is quite hard because it's mirroring the action. So it's like you're training your brain to do the opposite of what it wants to do. Um, so yeah, it's a lot. It's actually very overwhelming at first. Like the, I'd say it took me a good 
four months to get into a place where it just didn't feel stressful, really. We've had some past guests who have used B-Venom therapy and said on the first sting, they've actually yeah. felt a benefit or, or health improvement. In your case, did you feel something immediately? Or was it was more of a gradual over time uh, benefit that you've experienced? I felt immediately worse. <laughs> For me, it was immediate hurts. Um, but then again, like I said, like my inflammation goes straight to my brain. So when I wake up, I was just like, oh no, like, it's just like I, I had head pressure straight away, um, like depression. So I know when something is like, <laughs> like working or hurting me, cause it just, it just goes straight to my head. Um, which is hard to deal with, but obviously I was just like, okay, something's happening. And in the first month. I was getting like retraces of all my Babesia symptoms that I hadn't experienced for years. Like I had not experienced that breathlessness, that like those chest pains. Um, that came back in the first uh, couple of weeks of stinging. So that was really for me terrifying, but also fascinating at the way that the venom worked, um, that it was kind of really getting in there busting you know it's meant to bust the biofilm and then allow the immune system and the venom to target what's you know coming up for you so as scary as it was you recognize that this was the biofilms being obliterated you recognize that this was hurting and brain inflammation and you recognize that this was the babesia that was deep within your body coming out and now actually mm -hmm. having success so you stuck with it and at yeah. what point did you start to see the health benefit? Was it, you know, I think you mentioned you're what, six, six eight months, I forget what you said, several months in. At what point did you start to see the benefit and actually start to feel better after all the herxing and the biofilm busting and the brain inflammation and all that other stuff? Gosh, I think, I mean, in between the herxes, I noticed that my energy was better on the days that it wasn't really bad. So it was just like these gradual like days of just like, oh, I've, that's more energy than I had in a while. Um, and then I'd say, I'm just, I think it took me at least six months to get to a place where I started to think like, okay, my brain feels like it's working better. The brain fog just kind of, it was still there. It was still happening, but it just felt better. Like I noticed, um, and actually sometimes it's not even, I think because I'm still going through the herxing and not, I'm not still not feeling great, but it's actually like my girlfriend who will point out, do you realize that this is your, this is what you do in a day now? Do you realize like it's different? So sometimes that you just need someone else to be like, okay, yeah. Like before I couldn't even get out of bed. Now, like I can do stuff um, and I'm working on my laptop and for me, the biggest improvement was when I started to share more on Instagram because for a lot of my journey, I just couldn't, I couldn't share it because I was just so in it um, and so traumatized, I couldn't really share it at that time. Um, so when I found myself able to like share more and um, just be a little bit more like wanting to help other people, I knew that I was shifting and getting better because I had more energy to kind of give these things. So Sarah, what are you doing today? Are you just doing B-Venom therapy at the moment? I mean, clearly again, you've made major progress. Are you still with, with yeah. the B-Venom therapy is feeling better and better and better every day? Yeah, I'm still with B-Venom therapy. That's like, I'm gonna do it, like I'm committed to follow it through to the three years. 
Um, I've still got a long way to go. Yeah, I'm at 10 months. So yeah, I'm committed to keep going with that because um, a lot of people say that the two year mark is where you really, really start seeing the most improvements. Um, so I'm doing that and a lot of detoxing alongside it. So I do coffee enemas, red light, sauna, um, lymphatic drainage. So I'm doing like a lot of things to support like the bee venom therapy um, along with like, as I said, like the trauma stuff and the EFT and things like that. So that's kind of my protocol at the moment. So before I hand this back over to Rich, give us an assessment. I mean, you were, you were bed bound as you noted. What, and this is a really difficult question, but what percentage would you say you were recovered from, you know, the time you were at your worst in your, in your Lyme healing journey? I think this, this question is the hardest one. I always find it really, really hard to answer because of some, I feel like it changes every day for me. Um, and I think because like my nervous system stuff is still there, like I feel like as soon as that gets better, like I'm going to feel like 90%. But I think because it's still in the background, that's, that's quite a hard one for me. I'm going to say, I don't know. I find it really mentally hard to give a percentage. I don't know if other people do. Like it's, it feels like a really hard thing. Like I've got a blockage against, <laughs> against it. Um, and I'm not sure. Maybe I need to work on that. <laughs> you don't need to work on it because um, that's your answer. And that's a, it's a very good answer. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, the, we, we've had a lot of, we've had a diversity of answers. Some, some people have said 67%, some people have said 90%. So we've gotten a lot of different numbers and it's always uh, exciting for us to ask that question and get different answers. So uh, okay. thank you for, for again, being as honest as you've been. I mean, you are, uh, you are certainly someone who shares from a very vulnerable place and that's really uh, a charm that you have. So let's, let's, um, let's talk a little bit more about the charm that Sarah has and what Sarah can do, because you really are an absolute blessing. We've really enjoyed, um, you know, this interview. We had, we had the sense this was going to be a great interview because of what we learned about you through social media, um, but you're even, uh, you're even better than we had, had expected. And uh, that couldn't happen if you didn't go through a transformation. So talk to us about how Sarah is now a very different, a more beautiful, a more powerful uh, person, how you are, you know more about how your creator has created you and what gifts you have so that you can now give in a way that you wouldn't have been able to give had you not gone on this journey. Oh, um, I think being able to share vulnerably actually has been one of my biggest blessings. Um, I feel like it's like, I can't share in any other way now. Um, and I don't think I would have been able to be so open before this whole experience. Like, Why I just is that? Tell, tell us about that. Tell us how, um, how you have lost the barriers that would have prevented you from being vulnerable in the past. I think when you go through something so terrifying and scary, that not much else can match up. Like there's nothing else that can scare you more anymore. Like for me, um, yeah, it's just, there's nothing else that can scare me more than the experience I've already had. Like I feel like I've been through something like so terrifying and it's just made me have to look at every, everything, everything about me, 
um, work through all the things about me, about all my relationships um, that, yeah, I think for me, it's shown me that to just be vulnerable and human is exactly like the, to just be human as much as you can and to share exactly how you feel. Um, for me, I think my, I don't know if it's my sole purpose, but through this experience, I just have this um, desire to share how I feel very, very openly and broadly. And it just comes out like that. And for me, it's been really healing for myself. Also a lot of people that follow me on Instagram have said that it's been very healing for them as well that I share so openly. Um, even though for me, it's very, it actually, I actually feel very uncomfortable and sometimes think, oh, Sarah, have you shared too much? or have you said too much? Um, but yeah, I think for me, for this journey, it's just to be open about my emotions because I think everyone is, as humans have like very similar emotions and the more that we speak about them and share them with other people, then we can help people not feel so alone because I think we all kind of think, oh, I'm the only one who feels like that, or I'm broken, or there's something wrong with me. And really, we're all having the same kind of feelings and experiences. And um, for me, yeah, I think I've just learned to be a lot more open and vulnerable and to kind of be okay in that space. Um, and also kind of learn that I am enough how I am, however I feel. Like every single emotion is okay. There's not a good or a bad emotion. I think it's just learned me, it's helped me accept all of the emotions we experience. Um, yeah. So it sounds to me like really what you're saying is you gained a capacity to speak in a way that you wouldn't have spoken before because you no longer fear the judgment that might come from that because you've been through hell and back. And mm -hmm. it sounds like you gained a willingness to do it because you feel called to help other people shorten their trip to hell and back. Yes. That's a good way of saying. Yeah. <laughs> so let's, let's again, in the spirit of, uh, of the charm and your willingness to share, I'm going to ask you one last question. Mm -hmm. Uh, your, your girlfriend, Sarah, has been a wonderful uh, partner on this journey that you've been on. Um, she's allowed you to feel loved when you didn't feel lovable, or she allowed you to feel loved when you didn't feel like you were entitled to be loved. And let's say after we finished this interview, you went over to visit Sarah. And when you walked in, you saw a tech biting her on her arm. Mm -hmm. What would you recommend that Sarah would do so she wouldn't have to go through all the suffering that you've had to go through on your chronic Lyme disease journey? Um, okay, so I think I would definitely keep the tick, tick, um, and I would post it off to Armin Labs that test it for um, Lyme bacteria and different co-infections. And um, seeing as I'm doing bee venom therapy, <laughs> what they do here is actually, if you have a new tick bite, we sting around the site of the uh the tick bite obviously you only do that if you have an epi pen with you because you can't sting without one um but that's something that 
in with the bee venom that people actually do if um if they get like a new bite you just sting around it and the venom goes to attack the uh, bacteria but also i would wait for the test results as well to come back and see um if the tick does have a new Lyme or co-infections and um there's also the choice of going to the doctors and getting a course of antibiotics just to be safe as well. Thank you for listening to the Tick Boot Camp interview with our guest, Sarah Hook. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Sarah Hook, please visit our Instagram page at The Healing Place. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Boot Camp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of our post. Third, Tick Boot Camp has created a Tick Bite Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank your community for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.